Thank you for joining us for today's Practical Living broadcast, and I pray that through this message that you will learn how to apply God's Word and truths to any situation in your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. Today, I want to continue to talk to you about a message actually that I started last week and this entire series that we're looking at in this new year together called Waymaker. I want to talk to you about being harassed by hell's forces in your life. If you missed last week's message, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to it because this is a two-part message, and uh, last week really provides a lot of the foundation for what I'm talking about today, and so you can find that message on our website at church-redeemer.org, or you can get it through our church app, the MyCOR app, either on your Apple store or your Google Play store, but go back and check that message out, and I'm going to add part two today to the message. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. That's found in John chapter 14. Jesus said, I am the way. One of the I am statements of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We understand Jesus is the truth and Jesus is the life, but Jesus is also the way. By Jesus being the way, it means, in fact, that he is our way to God He's the only way to God. If you're going to get to God, you come through Jesus. He is the Savior, the Redeemer. He's the one that died on the cross for our sins and proved he was the Son of God by rising from the grave. And so Jesus said, if you want to get to God, you get to God through me. I am the way to the Father. Not only is Jesus the way to the Father, he's the way to eternal life. If you want to be sure that you're going to heaven when you die, how are you sure? Not by all the many and different varieties of religion in the world. We find our way to heaven and the security of heaven by putting our faith in Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. So he's the way of salvation. He's the way for eternal life. But Jesus is also the way that you need each day of your life. He guides you along the right way. He is your way maker in this journey before you get to heaven. And one of the ways that God helps us, that Jesus helps us in this journey, is by helping us to know how to deal with the harassment of the forces of hell. I talked last week about the fact that hell's forces are real. Satan is a real entity. There's a real personality of evil called Satan, called the devil. And along with Satan, there are demonic entities that exist in our world today that are active and moving among our lives, our culture, around the world. They're unseen, but nevertheless very real. And their design is to do everything opposite of God, to lead people away from God. And they're targeting you and me. You are a target of the attack of Satan in your life. Whether you realize it or not, we all are. And he targets us based upon our vulnerabilities, because all of us are different when it comes to temptation. The thing that tempts me may not tempt you, and the thing that tempts you may not tempt me, because we're all vulnerable in certain ways. We always, we all, all have our own individual weaknesses in life, but the enemy knows your weaknesses, and the enemy will target your weaknesses, and it's a very real assault that will come against you. This is what we often refer to as spiritual warfare because we are indeed in a war. Now, let me quickly add, and I'll come back to this later, Jesus has already won the war. 
We're not waiting to see who's going to win. Jesus on the cross has already defeated the adversary, but we're living in a time when we actually have to enforce that victory and live in the victory of Jesus until he comes back again and all the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ, and he rules and reigns forever and ever. And that day is coming, and it's coming faster than most of us even realize. Jesus is coming back again. But in the meantime, as we're living with an understanding of the victory of Jesus, but also learning how to live in the way of Jesus, it's important to know how to fight these battles. How do we fight them? What do we do? How do we engage in the spiritual warfare? How do we make sure that we guard our vulnerabilities? So as I mentioned last week, I had four points in this message. I gave you two last week. I'm only going to give you two points today, but these are two extremely important points. I will spend most of my time on the first point today and briefly touch on the second. But the first thing that we must understand in this spiritual battle, we must know and understand that Jesus gives us resources to overcome. A resource is something that gives you the capacity, gives you what you need. We talk about resourcing a person who needs food. We give them food. Whatever the resource is, is what we have need of. And so, as we learn from Scripture, Jesus has given each one of us the resources that we need to overcome the attacks of the evil one in our lives. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. I talked about that word last week. The word is, uh, is related to the word anthropology, anthropological. It's common to humanity, and God is faithful. He will not you, let you be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, when you're tested, when you're tempted, notice the promise. He will also provide a, a way. What's the title of our series? Waymaker. He will provide a way out so that you can endure it. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives us fuller understanding of this battle that we're in, the resources we've been given. I'm going to read this for you. The verses will be on the screen as I read. Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Notice that's a command. Put on the full armor of God so that he's going to now add the reason behind putting on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, because we're in this battle, remember I told you last week, every time you see a therefore, you ask, what is it there for? So therefore points back to the fact that we're in a battle. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. So he says, God's plan for you is not that you would fall, but that you would stand. Stand your ground after you've done everything to stand. And then in verse 14, stand firm then. So three times he's used the word stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying 
praying for all the Lord's people. Here, Paul pulls out an example from the culture of his day. He understood the Roman culture. He, in fact, was a Roman citizen himself. And he understood the occupation of Rome during this time. And so he uses the example of a Roman soldier. He says, just like a Roman soldier has armor that equips them for battle, they are resourced for battle by armor, I'm calling you to put on the full armor of God. Just like a Roman soldier would armor himself for battle, you and I must do the same spiritually. And he describes for us this this armor that we need, truth buckled around our waist, the breastplate of righteousness, the fact that we've been given righteousness in Christ. Having our feet ready with the gospel of peace. Get ready to share the good news of Jesus. The shield of faith that we use to quench the flaming arrows of the evil one. The helmet of salvation that protects our heads, our our mind, our thinking. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then he says, in all this, pray on all occasions and pray for all people. Make sure that prayer is a part of this. He's describing for us the resources that will enable us to gain victory and to stand strong in our spiritual journey. Put on the full armor of God. Now, please notice something about this armor. Every piece that Paul describes, and I've just reiterated to you a moment ago, every one of these pieces affect the front of your body, not the back. So he's telling you to face and go forward in your life. Don't turn your back on the enemy, but move forward. Move forward. Stand firm. He describes this, this resource, these resources again for us in a different way in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to notice this, demolish strongholds. What kind of stronghold? What is a stronghold? A stronghold is something that has a stronghold on you. Okay. Whatever has a stronghold on you is a stronghold. Okay. It might be a habit in your life that you can't seem to break or a thought process that is tripping you up or a temptation that gets you over and over again. That's called a stronghold. Why? Because it has a strong hold on your life. And so the Bible says, on the contrary, these weapons that we've been given are, 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 have divine power. They're mighty through God, one translation says, to demolish, to break down, to demolish the strongholds. And then he adds this. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So he's talking about the authority that we've been given in Jesus. Put on the full armor. Use the weapons you've been given. They're mighty through God for the casting down, the pulling down of strongholds. So what are the weapons? What are these weapons? In a very practical sense, how are we to fight these battles? When temptation comes our, our way, how do we find a way out? How do we find the strength of the way maker to get out of each of the temptations that will come our way in life? I'm going to do something for the next few moments. I hope it will be very helpful to you. It's going to be very practical. I want to describe for you eight weapons, eight tools that you've been given by God that if you'll use these eight tools, it will help you to stand firm when the enemy attacks your life, when you're being harassed by hell's forces in any way, in any shape or form, you use these eight things, and I promise you, you will find a way out. So I want you to just envision something with me for a moment. I want everybody to put on an imaginary tool belt just for a moment, okay? Everybody know what a tool belt is, okay? So we're going to have an imaginary tool belt this morning. There are going to be eight slots in the tool belt, okay? 
And so as I walk you through these, I want you just to insert that tool into that tool belt that you have, spiritually speaking, that imaginary tool belt, and you're going to walk out of here with some tools to gain victory in your life, okay? So here's the first thing. Here's the first tool that you need to put in your tool belt. It's the tool of truth. Truth is the opposite, obviously, of that which is deceptive or a lie. Satan is a liar. And so to counteract Satan, we need to know the truth. Where do you find the truth? The only place that you'll ever find consistent truth, reliable truth, is in God's Word. This is not an outdated book. Okay. I need to say that again. This is not an outdated book. It is as current as today. Okay. It is as current as tomorrow. It will never be outdated. This is the amazing, inspired Scripture given to us by God that is to be the guide and direction of our life. And so you and I need to know what is true. And the way you know what is true is by asking yourself the question when it comes to any issue in your life, what does the Bible say? Say it with me. What does the Bible say? Whatever issue you're trying to understand, your first resort needs to be to go to Scripture and say, what does the Bible say? Whatever issue you're trying to resolve in life, don't let culture define truth for you. Don't let the politicians define truth for you. Okay? Don't let the internet define truth for you. Don't let your friends define truth for you. There's only one. Don't let your pastor define truth for you. Let God define truth for you because the only place you'll find consistent, eternal truth is in God's Word. What does the Bible say? If I want to understand how marriage works, I ask myself the question, what does the Bible say about marriage? If I want to understand how friendships work, I ask myself the question, what does the Bible say about friendships? If I want to get my finances in order in my own individual life, I ask myself the question, does the Bible have anything to say about how I'm to live my life financially? Well, of course it does. And so whatever the issue that we're dealing Within life, the big question is what does the Bible say? Not what does anybody else say, but what does the Bible say? Why? Because this is the only reliable source of eternal truth that you can count on. You can't count on anything else. There's something that has to be the settling issue, the settling resource, the settling authority of your life, and God has graciously and lovingly giving that, given that to us in the Bible. It's called His Word. Amen. Now, Jesus gave us this principle. He taught, he, by example, He showed us this very thing in His own life. After He was baptized by John the Baptist, you might remember that moment when He goes into the Jordan River, He comes up, the Spirit of God falls upon Him. The Father speaks from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Bible says immediately after that he was led into the wilderness where he was tested or tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days, 40 nights, hasn't had anything to eat or drink for 40 days. And the devil comes to him and says, hey, you see those stones over there? I know you're hungry. Why don't you just turn those stones into bread? Jesus had a legitimate need. That was an illegitimate way to meet a legitimate need. We talked about that last week. Please notice how Jesus responded. Jesus answered, It is, where was it written? In the holy pages of Scripture. It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word, on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, how did Jesus deal with temptation? With three little words, it is, He knew His Bible. 
You need to know your Bible, okay? He knew his Bible. Satan doesn't stop there. He comes and says to him, oh, by the way, Jesus, uh, you know, be, let's go to this top of this pinnacle. Why don't you cast yourself off there and let's see the angels bear you up so that you don't dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus responds again. Notice his words when he says, he answered him, it is also written. There it is again. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil comes at him a third time. And shows him the kingdoms of all the world and says, if you'll just bow down, Jesus, and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And there again, Jesus makes this declaration in chapter 4 of Matthew, verse 10. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So when it comes to your tool belt, what is the first thing you need to put in your spiritual tool belt if you're going to be victorious? True. What? does the Bible say? Here's the second thing you need in your tool belt. Prayer. These may seem simple, but they're very, very significant. I want you to notice what Jesus said about this as well. Jesus said, watch and pray so that, he's giving us a reason to do it, okay? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So he's linking prayer. He says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's linking prayer with strength to overcome temptation. If you're not praying, you're not going to be strong. If you don't pray and spend time with God, talking to him and fellowshipping with him, you're going to miss a spiritual power at work in your life. Now, prayer is something that every Christian needs to develop a habit of in their life, not just when you're in trouble, but to learn to value time with God, talking to God, listening to God, spending time with God. Why? Because that's what's going to help you in temptation. Now, notice what he didn't say first. Watch and, he, did, he did not say watch and pray so that you will not experience temptation, did he? He didn't say that because everybody experiences temptation. He says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And then he reminds us, your spirit is willing to do the right thing, but your flesh is really, really weak. And so because your flesh is weak, prayer will strengthen you and help you to do the right thing when wrong is pressing against you. So we've got a tool belt. What's the first tool that we put in today? Help me out, church. Truth, okay. What does the Bible say? The second tool that we put in is personal prayer, spending time with God, watching and praying ourselves. Here's the third thing that you need in your toolbox. Praise and thanksgiving. You need to be a praiser. You need to be a worshiper. You need to be someone who's giving thanks to God. And I'll tell you why. Because gratitude wages war on darkness. I'll prove it to you. See, gratitude protects your attitude. That's what gratitude does. It protects your attitude. And your right attitudes protect your actions. And so if you're thinking the right way, then it's going to help you do the right things in your life. And so that's why we need to be saturated with gratitude in our lives. Because gratitude is praise and thanksgiving to God. No matter what we're going through, God, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to give thanks to you in all things. It might be hard right now, but God, I'm still going to lift my voice. And I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. I will magnify him. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. I will enter his 
his courts with praises. I am going to be a praiser. Somebody else is not going to do by praising for me. I will be a praiser myself. I will sing my praises. I will speak my praises. I will declare my praises. Why? Because I'm doing warfare against the enemy. That's why I wrote that little book about gratitude. Because when you engage in gratitude, it's far more than just making you feel better. It's actually going to work against darkness in your life. Take a look at Psalm 149. May the praise of God be where? In their mouths. And I love this part. And a double-edged sword in their hands. To inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the people. Notice that there's this concept in this verse of praise in your mouth and God's word in your hand. And it's inflicting vengeance. There's a warfare idea associated with this. So bring your praise to God. Sing your praises to God. You say, well, I can't sing very well. The Bible never said you had to. All the Bible said was make a joyful noise to God. That's all he said, okay? You don't have to be a great singer, but you need to be singing your praise. And by the way, we're blessed in our world today to have some amazing worship music that you should fill your life with it. We've got worship music in all kinds of genres. Whatever your genre is, you can find some worship music that goes along with your favorite kind of music. But get it, get it saturated inside of you and sing along with it as you're listening. Why? Because you need that in your life. And if you don't sing very well, do it in private so nobody else can hear you. But whatever the case is, okay, make sure you lift your voice in song to God. So we've got a tool belt. What's the first tool? Truth. Okay. What does the Bible say? What's the second tool? Prayer. What's the third tool? Filling up your tool belt today. Okay, here's our fourth one. Resistance. Learn to resist. To resist means to push against. That's the idea in the practical sense of dealing with temptation in your life. It's learning how to say no and learning to say no. Everybody practice with me a big, strong no. Are you ready? One, two, three. There you go. You can do it. And that's saying no to temptation, no to sin. When sin comes your way, just resist it. Say no. No, I'm not going to hold on to bitterness in my life. No, I'm not going to resent that person. No, I'm not going to hold on to all these feelings of, of offense and, and feelings of frustration. I'm going to forgive. No, I'm not going to do this. No, I'm not going to do it. No, I'm pushing back against the assault of the enemy. I'm going to fight back with resistance. That's how you build your spiritual muscles. You'll never build them if you never resist. For all of you that go to the gym, and I'm sure that's all of you, If you go to the gym and you do weight training, weight training in the gym is called also resistance training. Same thing, okay? And let's say that you've been working out for a long time. All you big guys in here, you've been working, man, I mean, 100 pounds is nothing for you. You can do that like this, okay? But let's say you go to the gym and you walk into the gym and you strut over, you got all your gym clothes on and you're looking cool and everything. You walk over, you go to the weight, weight area and you pick up a five pound weight. It's going to do absolutely nothing for you. If you normally press 100, 120 pounds, let's say, then you, or 150 pounds, you got to add something to that to build your muscles to the next level. Why? Because it's only when you build your muscle, when, when you tear those little fibers in your muscle and they restore back again that you're stronger. And that's why you and I need to resist the enemy. The scripture is very clear about this as well. Look at 
1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be alert. Let a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. We talked about that last week. What are the next two words? Resist who? Right up there. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So are you ready to rehearse our tool belt today? Are you ready? All right, we got... Are you ready? Yes. Okay. You guys do know I'm talking to you, right? You, okay. What's the first thing? What does the second thing? Third thing? Fourth thing? Resistance. Are you ready for the fifth one? Okay. Connection with God's people. You need to be connected with the church. Why? Because you can't make it in your journey successfully long term by yourself. You need I need, we all need one another. I need you and you need me and that's why Jesus created this thing called the church. Jesus said, I, Matthew 16, I will build my church, but notice what else he said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He linked church with victory over the forces of hell. So you need connection with the church. And connection with the church obviously involves what we're doing right now. Thank God that you've made the decision to be in God's house today. You made a, I mean, no, you made a good decision by coming to church today, didn't you, right? Okay. You made a good decision. And so to let that become the habit pattern of our life, but perhaps more than that, uh, or in addition, I should say in addition to that, not more than that, but in addition to that, get connected, get into a group, get into something that's going to give you the opportunity to develop relationships with other people, that you have an ongoing connection with the people of God because it it will enable you to be stronger in your faith. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse number 12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, a cord of three strands, is not quickly broken. And so if you're only one, it's easy to be overpowered, but two can defend themselves and a cord, obviously, of three strands, bringing God into the equation is not quickly broken. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Notice we're spurring one another on, not giving up. Notice this, not giving up meeting together. Don't get rid of that in your life, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So let's go back through it now. I'm going to walk you through this until we get through all eight, okay? This is, you're going to remember this by the time you leave. You may not like me, but you're going to remember this, okay? What's your first tool? Truth. What does the second tool is? Third tool is? Fourth tool is? Fifth tool is? Connection with God's people. Here's your sixth tool, all right? Your tool belt's getting full, isn't it? I love this one, the name of Jesus. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ears, the sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. It's the name that is above every name. Paul the Apostle in Philippians chapter 2 says, because Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, he was given a name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is Lord and his name represents his authority. Using the name of Jesus against the enemy is not just a matter of sort of flippantly speaking some words in a mantra form. And we 
hear that at times, no, empty words. No, it's understanding that there's authority in Jesus' name because he has conquered the evil one. Okay? And so when we use his name, we stand in his authority, okay? Just like if you were authorized to go and do something for someone that had the authority and they, they deputized you to go and represent them and you were given credentials to go and represent them and you presented yourself to a particular person in representation of the person that authorized you, then you now have the authority of their backing, right? Did you guys understand what I just said? I hope so because I don't want to go back through it again, okay? <laughs> But there's an authority given to you that you've been deputized to do something. And authority stands behind you. And so when you understand, I am a follower of Jesus. He has given to me the beautiful use of his name. And so when the enemy comes against me, I have the privilege of using his name against the assaults of the adversary. Peter and John understood this. Peter and John went to the temple one day to pray, Acts chapter 3, and there's a man laying by the gate there, the gate beautiful, and he's paralyzed, and he's begging for, for money. And he looks at Peter and John wanting some money from them, and Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And the Bible says the man jumped up, went walking and leaping and praising God, not because of Peter's name, because of the power of Jesus' name, amen? The name of Jesus. What does the Bible say about this? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, and what is the name of the Lord? His name is Jesus, will be saved. I want to draw your attention to this Greek word in the original language of the New Testament. Uh, saved is an appropriate translation, but it's a broader meaning of the word that's used here in the Greek language that some of the translations will give you. And it, it also means delivered. Do you remember what Jesus taught us to pray? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, right? And so everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be not only saved, but also what? Delivered. So it is a resource for you in your life when the enemy comes against you. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it. So let's review again. Are you ready? We're almost done here, so you're getting your tool belt filled up. What's the first tool? Truth. Truth. What is the? Second tool is? Prayer. Third tool is? Pray. Fourth tool is? Fifth tool is? Sixth tool is? Name of Jesus. Seventh tool. Doing good. You know that when you do good, you offset evil? Just think about that for a moment. When you forgive someone who's hurt you and you forgive them, what did you, what did you just do? You overcame evil with good. That's what you did, okay? When you give to a need that's been in a person's life and you generously give to them, then you overcame evil, overcame a problem with good in your life. And so I think we very often don't understand the power of just doing good. May God grant us the ability and the grace just every day of our life to just go around doing good because every time you do good, you resist, you're, you're, actually, you're actually reversing evil. Amen. Think about that. It's not just enough not to do evil we need to also do good. Discipline yourself to do good. Notice the scriptures, Romans 12, 21. Do not be 
overcome by evil, but overcome evil. Notice this, overcome evil, overcome the forces of darkness with, with good. Interestingly enough, it's not my purpose today to really talk about it, but this word overcome in the original Greek language is where we get our name or our term, Nike. That's the same word, okay? So Nike chose a biblical word. Isn't that amazing? I'm not sure what that means, but uh, that's a Greek word, okay? And it means to be triumphant, the idea, okay? So that's the idea in sports, you're triumphant, and so that's their brand. But this is a scripture that says, do not be triumphed by evil, but instead triumph over evil with good. Be someone who conquers evil with good. So let's go now through seven. First tool now, come on, I'm going to do this until everybody's with me, okay? <laughs> you have to understand, I'm a teacher, okay? That's who I am, and so I want everybody, you might, I want you to leave knowing these tools. You may not like me, but you'll leave knowing the tools, okay? Are you ready? That's my number one goal today is you walk out of here with a big, full tool belt, okay? It's going to be up to you to use them, but at least you know what they are, okay? So number one is, what does the Bible say about anything in life? Not as what anybody else say, not what do the pundits say, not as what the internet said, not what the news channels say. No, what does the Bible say? Okay. Number two, prayer. prayer. Number three, prayer. number four, prayer. number five, prayer. number six, prayer. number seven. Here's the last one, number eight. Just proper rest in your life. Said, Pastor, why did you include that one? Because you and I do stupid things when we're tired. Is that true? You say stupid things when you're tired. You're far more vulnerable to attacks when you're tired, okay? The devil can make avenues, gain avenues into your life when you're just worn out, all frazzled and fatigued. And that's why the Bible teaches us that God has a pattern of systematic rest for us that you and I need to establish are principles of rhythm and principles of rest for our lives. Psalm 23, verse 3. He, God, renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. I want you to notice this verse and it's the particular order of the verse. He renews my strength, gives me the ability to gain strength again, and then following the renewing of the strength, what does he do? He guides me along right paths. So you need strength to make it well along the right paths in your life. And even the psalmist David understood this and understood it very, very well. So let's review one last time before we move to my second quick point that I'm going to give you. What are the tools for your tool belt? Number one is truth. What does the Bible say? Number two is prayer. Number three is Praise and thanksgiving. Number four is resistance. Number five is connection with God's people. Number six is the name of Jesus. Number seven is doing good. And number eight, proper rest. So you got a tool belt. You're going to be a little heavier when you leave today than you were when you came in. But it's a good kind of heavy. Amen? You've got some tools. Jesus resources you so that there's a way out in your life. Let me give you my last point. And again, we'll cover this fairly quickly, but I do want to cover it. Second point, write it down. Recovering from more war wounds is possible. Now listen to my heart this morning. Please listen for a moment. 
not every spiritual battle that you enter into will be a battle that you will win. Sometimes you're going to mess up. And I would not be a good pastor if I didn't tell you what to do when you mess up. Because we all miss the mark at times. Is that true? Do you agree with me that we all miss the mark? If you're not agreeing with me right now, you're missing a really big mark, okay, right now, okay? Because we all miss the mark at times. And so there are times we get trapped by the enemy in certain ways, and we don't always do it the right way. And so, and I'm not condoning that, and I'm not encouraging that. I'm just acknowledging the reality that there, along the journey, you're going to lose some battles. But please remember this. When you lose a battle, it does not mean you've lost the war. Okay? And so there's something that you and I need to do, because sometimes we're going to get wounded in spiritual battle. And so what do we do when we're wounded in spiritual battle? Take a look at what the Scripture says in 1 John chapter... I didn't read this one a while ago, but uh, nevertheless. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I'm telling you this so that you will stay away from sin. Got it? So he says, before I get into all this, I'm telling you all this because I want you to stay away from sin. I want you to be victorious. Don't yield to temptation. But if you... I love his pastoral heart, his loving heart here. So I'm telling you this so you won't do dumb things. Don't go out and do what the enemy wants you to do. I'm telling you this so you'll stay away from sin. But if you do sin, there is someone to plead for you before the Father. And his name is Jesus Christ. The one who is all that is good, who pleases God completely. I am so glad that when... I have the heart not to sin, but I end up making a mistake along the journey that I've got an attorney in heaven for me. Amen. And his name is Jesus. And he's pleading my case before the Father. And he's taking, he said, I paid the price for for Dale's sin. And he's paid the price for your sin. And he's the one who is good, all that is good, who pleases God completely. Then it goes on to say, he is the one who took God's wrath against our sin, against our sins upon himself and brought us into the fellowship with God. And he is the forgiveness for our sins and not only ours, but all the world, all who will put their faith in him. So when you're wounded in battle, don't run away from God. Run to God because you have an advocate and his name is Jesus. And that's the way you find forgiveness and the opportunity to get up and go again. Let me mention one last thing as a part of this. Not only do we miss the mark sometimes, but sometimes our brothers and sisters miss the mark. It's extremely important when we have a brother or sister in Christ that falls along the way that we don't condemn them and judge them and somehow write them off from our lives, but we're there to help them. We are our brother's keeper, and the Bible's very clear that we should care about our brothers and sisters when they slip up and they fall, and we should be there to help them on their journey get back up again, because there may be the time that you fall, and you need somebody to help you get back up again. And the Christian church, and I say that capital C, capital two capital C's there, I'm not talking about this church, but generally speaking, the church hasn't been very good. Capital C church hasn't been very good in always dealing with people who, who miss the mark in their journey. We oftentimes will sort of condemn them and judge them in many ways. But what they need is restoration. What they need is healing. See, the church is not a museum for saints. 
It is a hospital for sinners. Amen. It's a place where sinners can come and be restored and they can have their lives put back together again. And so you may be going along your journey. You're doing great. But if your brother falls beside you or your sister falls beside you, do you have any responsibility toward them? Well, let's see. If they've been taken by the enemy, what do we do? Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters talking to us. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, if you're Spirit-led, if you're spiritual, one translation says, you who live by the Spirit, what should they do? Condemn that person? No. What? Restore that person. How? Interesting. Boy, I wish I had another five minutes. I'm going to take two of them right now at least, okay? That word restore, interesting word, it means to, when you have a broken bone and it's, it's, it's put back in place again, that's one of the meanings of the word. If you've ever had a broken bone that needed to be reset, I'll tell you what you appreciate a doctor who is gentle, okay? And so when you and I find someone whose bones have been broken by a failure, they've made a mistake in their journey, what's our job? Restore that person gently, but watch who? Yourselves. Or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus has given us the resources that we need to overcome. And when we fail in that journey, there's hope for us. And there's a mission for us to help others in their journey as well. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray today? Father, we're grateful this morning for the Word of God. Lord, more and more we are asking that you will renew our minds with the truth of your Word. Let us always seek to know what does the Bible say and how we're to live our lives. And I pray that something has been said today in these tools that we've talked about, that we would not only know them conceptually, but help us to put them into use and help us to overcome the harassment of the evil one through the power of your Holy Spirit. We trust you for it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. 
your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.